You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't own a Bible, you're in luck. There's some Bibles at the back of the room. They're free. It's our gift from GCC to you. We want you to have a Bible. And so if you don't have one, grab one of those and write your name in it. As Brad said, I'm going to be leaving. This will be my last Sunday preaching for some time. And what I would say is this, is if you have any questions about that, we do have a sabbatical policy. We are more than welcome to share that with you. One of the things that has uh, stated in that is that during a sabbatical, I'm not job hunting. And so it's not like three, you know, three months for me to try to find a different job. The other thing is to essentially show that I'm committed to being here is that uh, in the policy that the pastor, the lead pastor can't move for a year after sabbatical. The reason why that's in there is many pastors have taken sabbaticals. They've used three months to find another job. And then shortly after returning, they have let their church know that I found a job elsewhere. So policy preventing that from happening. Also something the elders have talked to is we want sabbatical to be a essentially a rhythm that extends through our church or flows through our church to where our, our other pastors have it, to where Jake Clausen and Sarah Clausen had one earlier this year, but to where also our volunteers have it. And that's a rhythm that's created for the church family, for people that have been serving for a long time to have those seasons and rhythms of rest. And so if you have questions about that, come see me. But also before you leave today, I'd love to give you a hug or a handshake before you take off. So also I'm going to uh, be sharing some news on the tail end of today. So hang in there for that as well on the edge of your seats. Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at today. And, and there's, there's two things that I really want you to hear and remember, is that we are messengers and models. We are messengers and models. Uh, a sub point to the main point, which would just be essentially another way of saying it, is what's yours is mine, and I'm going to let it shine. Many of you are familiar with the old song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So what's yours is mine, and in that statement, what I'm saying is, what belongs to Christ when we place our faith in him now belongs to us. His righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, his purity. And so since that's given to us by a means of grace, our hope is that we put that on display for the world to see. And we live out consistently according to that. And so we're going to talk to that both what it means corporately and individually, because oftentimes when we talk about this word today that we're going to talk about evangelism, we automatically think about it through our individual lens. How do I live a life evangelistically, individually? And I want us to first think through how we do that corporately and then how we do it individually as well. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We've done this kind of short series before I've taken off on sabbatical on discipleship. We looked at discipleship is giving in the first week. What does it look like to ultimately give people the gospel and then give people our hearts and lives, including our brokenness, our pain, our difficulties and whatnot. Last week, we took some more time to look at discipleship in regard to what does it look like to build one another up? What does it look like for church members to be invested in the lives of one another and to mature one another up, to build one another up for the sake of maturity? Today, we're going to look at this. What is evangelism for the local church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being good and faithful and steadfast and a friend. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your justice. Thank you for your righteousness. Father, as we 
dive in today to talk through this subject. Shape us through your word. Shape us through the gospel. Father, challenge us, encourage us, heal us, mend us, and let us be messengers and models as your ambassadors here on this earth to make much of you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are messengers and models. Years ago, story I'm not proud of, I was put into, essentially, I think it was a scam, but it was called like New York model contracts or something like that, and my mom signed me up for it. And I lived in Roseburg at this time, and uh, my mom was like, hey, and here's, here's the thing. If you are a parent, somewhat naturally, you think your children are like the most beautiful, amazing thing in the world. And so I think that's what my mom thought. By the end of the story, you'll realize that both of our dreams were shattered. So, <clears throat> so she said, I would like you to do this, and I'd like you to do this for me. And I, and I said, there, there's, I really don't want to do this. And so she said, hey, the first call is in Eugene. We go up there, you do this, and then if it goes nowhere, great. I'll let you go snowboarding and I'll pay for the trip. I'm like, I'm in. So I went, I went to Eugene and then they moved me on to the next phase in Seattle. And this is where I think it turns into a scam. So that's what I did. I went to Seattle and I went to this modeling thing and I had to take classes on how to do a catwalk by, uh, by an interesting individual. I'll just say it that way. And he asked us to bring dollar bills to his, I don't know what this was called, <laughs> to his thing where he was teaching us how to walk the catwalk. And so I had to place the dollar bill, and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to share, but I had to put it between my butt cheeks. I'm not kidding, this is a true story, and I had to walk in a certain way, and I looked at my mom when he gave us these instructions, and I was like this, and she, and she goes like this. She puts her hands together and, and was like, and I was like, this is like love for mom right here. And I did that because I was being trained on how to walk the catwalk as a model. I got cut the next day. <laughs> True story. Here's what I will say. In this world, every Christian, so if you're here and you're not a Christian, tune into this. Every Christian is called to be a model. And it's the church's job to train models on how to live and how to walk. Not in any sort of way like that whatsoever, but the local church is here to put on display Christ's glory to the world and also train and equip models, messengers, ambassadors, how to live and walk faithfully to represent Christ to the world. That's what we're here for. And if you're here investigating the claims of Christianity, that's what we want to train people to do week in and week out. Be a faithful messenger and be a faithful model because we don't want to confuse people. And oftentimes Christians living in such an inconsistent way to the way that Christ has called them to live is not only frustrating for people, it's very confusing, very confusing. And so we want to live faithfully, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's, let's dive into the text. Before we do that, one last thing. The reason why I said I want this to be corporate evangelism is because corporately, when we gather together, we are 
being messengers and we are being models every Sunday. Every Sunday when the church gathers together, we are doing evangelism. And what evangelism is, is I want us to look at a couple passages. First, Romans 1, 15, actually first Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist. This is a noun, the shepherds and the teachers. This is a noun. He gives the evangelist. Euangeliste, that's what he gives. Now, if we look back at Romans 1, 15, Paul says this, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So preach is euangelisto, gospel is euangelisto in the Greek. So euangelistis is a person who proclaims it. We are called to good news the good news. That's what Christians are called to do. We are called to preach the good news that's what we do. It's, so I am to good news, the good news to you also who are in Rome. That's how we would actually read in the Greek. It's, it, it's the same word. We are as evangelists called to proclaim the good news, which is the euangelion. It's all the same word that is being used to explain what Christians do. We proclaim, we preach, we teach, we declare the good news. On, when we gather on a Sunday, we are gathering as salt and light to do that corporately. This is why the songs we sing should be declaring who Christ is and what he's done in his redemption. That should be what we sing, and that should be the primary thrust of what we hear in every song, which is why I'm thankful for Ian, who does an intentional job of sorting and filtering our songs to make sure what we are proclaiming and singing to, 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 to God, but to one another, is we are literally with our voices every Sunday through the songs chosen, we're evangelizing one another. We're singing the gospel, the good news to one another through the songs that we sing. And if you'd like to hear more about this, our church has something that Ian leads called Church Sing. And you can come in and you can hear about the different songs we sing, the theology behind those songs, and I would highly encourage you to come and check that out. But there's an intentional purpose behind it. We read scripture with the intention and focus as Chris did up here. We read scripture, we tell you what the scripture says, and then you hear the gospel from that. All throughout what you're hearing, even when we pray, is you're hearing the gospel. Someone reads a, 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 a scripture out loud, you hear the gospel explained. When we open the word to preach the word of God, you're hearing the gospel explained. The church on a Sunday is constantly over and over and over again, from beginning to the benediction, declaring the good news of who Christ is and what he's done. And we do that to one another because we're messengers and because we're models. First, corporately, we do that, but then we also do it individually. I would, I would define evangelism like this. If you're someone who wants to take notes, great. If not, just listen. Actively sharing the good news and modeling lives that have been saved and transformed by the good news. Actively sharing the good news and then modeling lives that have been saved and transformed by that good news. That's what I would say evangelism is. That's why I would say we do it corporately as a big shaker of salt to then go live individually as granules of salt out in the society, out inside of culture. So look at the text with me again. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? What people used to do for salt is they would dig up rocks of salt and water would flow through it, washing away impurities. But sometimes what would actually happen is it would wash away all the saltiness. And so you were left with just a rock and it looks like a salt rock, but actually when you go to taste it and use it for its purpose, 
it doesn't have any taste. So essentially, it's just a poser rock that looks like salt, but it doesn't actually have any saltiness. Therefore, it would be useless. What salt was, was not primarily for taste. Salt was a preservative to keep meat and things like that from turning rancid. And so when Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount, hey, you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is you are a preservative in society to keep it from turning rancid. My goodness, that's a big call. Christians are called to be salt. And he's saying, what he's saying is very brash. Hey, if you lose your salt, what, what good is it for? Especially if the whole purpose of it is to be a preservative, just toss it out. Trample it underfoot, it serves no purpose. So if you're just someone that likes a Christian title and you like nominal Christianity, the title makes me feel comfortable, but I'm not actually interested in living out what it looks like to be a Christian inside of society. I don't want to submit and surrender my life to the supremacy of Christ. I like him as Savior, but not as Lord. Jesus has such strong words for this. You just have an appearance, but in fact, what you've been called to do, you're not doing. It can just be thrown out because it's pointless. If the very essence of what salt is for and the very essence of what a Christian is to do and invest into the society is not happening, the question becomes, are you a salt rock? Are you a Christian? Those of you that grew up in the South, everyone has that title. It's just very common. But what, what people mean by that is, I have a, a K-Love sticker on my car, maybe a fish, maybe a magnet on my refrigerator, and maybe I sit in the pews of the church, but I have little to no investment into the body of Christ. I have little to no excitement to live out who Christ is and display him to the world. So Christ's words are strong words that we should take heed to. Then he also says, you are light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Notice that. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First messengers, then models. We're called to be a light. What does light do? It exposes darkness for what it is, that it's dark, that it's immoral, but it also light shines light on a path that says, here's the correct path and truth. Years ago, I was lost in the woods with a friend hunting, and we were lost at like 10, 11 o'clock at night, and it was snowing, and we had one little baby flashlight, and every now and then we would turn it on because we were trying to find our way back and we were tracing our steps backward. And every now and then we would turn it on and the light would break forth and bring light out of darkness. But it didn't just bring light out of darkness. What it also did is it exposed the path that we were supposed to be walking on. Sometimes we were walking over here on this path. It might not be a big deal, people think, if you go off course by one or 2%, but if you do that over the course of a lifetime, you have completely missed your destination. So the light not only broke through in the dark, it showed us the path we were supposed to be going on. And so does God's word. And so do God's people. We come into the world exposing darkness, but also showing people there's a better way. There's a better way. What's the message? Not like the, the message that Eugene Peterson wrote. I'm saying, what's the message that Christians are called to proclaim and then model? It's the message of good news. The gospel is good news. If you ask our kids, Essentially, one question, what's the gospel? They are trained to say the good news. Catechizing our kids for that. Well, what is the good news? And they go on to share. Let's, let, let's move a little further back in the Sermon on the Mount and see exactly what the good news is. Starting in verse 2. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the good news is this. There's really bad news. Everything that's wrong in the world is because of sin. You can trace every problem that exists to sin, to our selfishness, to wanting our own wants and our own desires. Look at anything that's happened in the course of marriage, in the course of relationships, in the course of church unity, anything like that. And what we can get to and see is it sin related, not something floating around out there, but something that is inside of here. It's our sinful nature. So there's there's, there's bad news that we're sinners, but the text says something interesting. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What is, what, is, what is Jesus saying? He's like, blessed are those that are spiritually bankrupt. You see, if you're coming in here today and checking out what are the claims of Christianity, it's this, that without Christ, we're spiritually bankrupt, meaning this, we can't save ourselves. We, we don't climb out of debt We don't climb some sort of ladder taking a few steps to get our way out of debt. We are spiritually bankrupt. And the first blessing that we can see that God allows our hearts to see is my goodness. I'm not as good as I like to think. I'm not as perfect as I like to think. And I cannot save myself. I need Jesus. Our natural tendency is to blame others. I have three kiddos. They, they, they come into the room. They've been bickering and, and, and they've been fighting their life. And as soon as they come in, this is exactly what they do. Brooks did this, and Joey did this, and Rowan did this, and everyone's pointing the finger at everyone else. And and I'm normally like, pause. And this is what I ask. I'm like, what is one thing, before you share anything about anyone else, that you can take ownership for? And they're like, nothing. And they're like, boom, boom, and they go right back to it. I'm like, okay, let's try this again. What is one thing that maybe you added to this whole predicament that maybe you can take ownership for? And then they're like, well, I did push him. And they're like, but, you know, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll start there, we'll start there. We got to push. And then you slowly start to see that they, there's things they can take ownership for. As a dad, I'm by no means a perfect dad. I get impatient, discipline out of the impatience instead of thoughtfulness and care and love. And I did that with one of my daughters this week. And I went to her and said, hey, dad, was sorry for being impulsive, for being reactive. This is an area that dad needs Jesus in. Now, I did this because she was also doing something that was very escalated. And so I said, hey, is there anything and is there any area that you see in in light of all this where you you have a need for Jesus? And so humbly and graciously, she said, no. I was like, okay, okay. It was a a try. So say all that to say, it's really, really hard from the youngest of age for uh, for us to want to take ownership. You see this from a young age. And it's really difficult for us to say, I'm actually broken, can't save myself, and need Jesus Christ to do that for me. That is hard. That's why the gospel is offensive. The first piece of the gospel is I'm incapable of morally reconciling myself to the God of this universe. I can't do it. And without Christ, I'm helpless to do so. The good news of the gospel is this. It's a message. Look at the text because it would be easy to miss this. What does Jesus say? Do these three things and you'll be the salt of the earth. Do these three things and you'll be a light of the world. What does Jesus say? Look, look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When Christ comes into your life, he does all the work of healing, of restoration, of forgiveness. All that is his, all that is his, 
he makes mine. All that is mine, he makes his. When Christ steps in, what he does is he goes to the cross and he does the very thing that we need. He pays the punishment for the sins that we have broken. And he's saying through his life on the cross, through him being there, you have need for me. And therefore, I'm putting my morally perfect life upon this cross, taking the punishment that your immoral life deserves, and then imputing, transferring to you all the righteousness and all the purity and all the perfection that I have and saying, now this is yours and nothing can change that. What we get in light of what Christ has done is an unshakable identity. We become salt. We don't work to be salt. Christ comes in our life and he makes us holy. He, he makes us holy and, and then we live holy because he's made us holy. We live salty because, which is a weird way of saying that, we live as salt, I'll say it that way. We live as salt because Christ makes us salt. We live as a light because Christ makes us a light. It's not a moral performance gospel. It's a, I can't do anything about my moral problem and I need Jesus to do something about it for me. And he did. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Jesus proved his love through action. When I did that modeling thing, I looked over and I was like, you know what, mom, here it goes. I'm gonna prove my love for you through action. Jesus proves his love for you once and for all through his actions on the cross. You don't have to question it anymore. Now, what you have as a Christian is an identity that no one gets to mess with, no one gets to play with, no one gets to shake. So you're able to step in to anything in life as a child of God saying and declaring, that's it. It's final. It's who I am. I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Look at that. He saved us. And then he called us because of the message that saves us. He calls us to model it. Christians, Please hear this. We are called to be messengers and models. It is more important if we're going to be salt and light in the world that we come with the only message that has the power to transform someone's life. First, save them and transform them. It, it, it can take someone from death to life. It can take someone from a dead heart to a new heart. People need the gospel. They need the message. They need the message of good news. If you think Capitalism or communism is going to change and preserve society. You've missed it. There are plenty capitalists and communists that are on a straight path to hell. If you think liberalism or nationalism is going to change and preserve society, you've missed it. What we need and what we have to have is the only, this is why Paul and this is why the apostles and disciples were constantly drilling it back to the gospel saying, this is the only message that can actually save and transform, uh, transform someone for all eternity. You have to stick with it. You can't sway on this. you got to preach and teach the gospel, the message. Then people know how to vote. Then people know what acts of parliament and, and everything to get involved in. But first, got to do a work on the heart. And if you're focused on all those things, you're missing it. And you're missing giving people the message that has the power to transform their life. We're called to be messengers and models. We say what's, what's Christ is now ours, what's his was mine, I'm going to let it shine. So what does it look like to model, to live a holy life? And a lot of people hear that, they're like, man, whew, 
That just sounds like this. Here's what I would argue. To live a holy life is actually going to be a life filled with joy. Because if the creator of all the universe said, this is the way that you can live and live abundantly, we should listen to him. In fact, since we as Christians arrive going, I'm spiritually bankrupt, I can't save myself, and we know that Christ has done it all for us, we are free now to live and obey God, not trying to manipulate him and say, love me. But now we get to live and say, hey, I can live in light of my new identity because it's already been secured for me. I can live holy because I already am holy. I'm not trying to become holy in God's eyes. I am, and now I can live consistent with it. So I would say Christians who are pursuing holiness will have the most joy because they're putting things in their proper perspective, not letting the created things master them, have mastery over them, but saying, this is where this belongs in my life. Also, how do we model? We recognize this both corporately and individually. We model by reflecting who Christ is to the world. We reflect the love of Christ to the world. Again, we don't want to confuse people. We don't want to frustrate people. We live consistent to how God's word calls us to live. We live a holy life. And then when people come in here on Sunday morning, the hope is this, is that they are met with warmth and kindness and grace, that we as Christians are recognizing new people that walk out the door and we're practicing hospitality, loving strangers, because that's what Christ did to us, loved us when we were enemies of him and brought us into his family. That when we see new people coming in, we recognize that our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have brought someone new. Let's go over and talk with them. Let's be invested in their lives. When we gather on a Sunday, we are asking one another questions. What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? We are deeply invested. And then what we're giving is we're giving people a picture of what the message is that we believe, but also how we model it. And at a corporate gathering, at a Sunday gathering, people are starting to see what the Christian family looks like, what it looks like to be salt, what it looks like to be a light. And then when they go back out, because they've done this, they go, man, I want to invite my family and friends here because I know that my Christian brothers and sisters are going to engage them, pursue them, greet and meet them with warmth, be hospitable to them. As we go into our workplace, as we go into our neighborhoods, we should be preserving those places by being salt and light. When a Christian walks into a room at the workplace, it might make people go, whoop, because maybe they're gossiping. Maybe they're doing something like that, and their very presence there is preserving something from happening that could be destructive. So when we gather on a Sunday, we are welcoming people in to see and hear the message of Christ and how it's to be lived out. We're inviting people in to see, or we're inviting people in to hear the message and to see how it's lived out. And the text tells us, look right here. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see or give wor uh, good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is why, this is why it's important for Christians to be consistent to how we live, what we proclaim, the message we preach, teach, and share, but also how our lives are lived in a consistent way that shows and brings glory and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords so that people say, man, I want to be a part of that family. Yeah, they have their frustrations. Yeah, they have their disagreements. But man, that's a community that's fighting to love and serve one another and put Christ on display to the world. 
We're inviting, inviting people in to see that, to be a part of that. That's why when we talk to our neighbors and we talk to our coworkers, say, hey, man, if you ever come to church with me, there's this guy. Uh, I would love for you to meet him because you guys have some of the same hobbies. And we talk up our family members and are like, man, you guys would love to meet him. And, and we're like, hey, there's this woman. You guys are into the same stuff. I think you would really connect well with her. And then when they actually walk through those doors, you're like, oh, my goodness, the person I was telling you about, here he is. A message and model is what Christians are called to do. Here's here's. Four quick things in light of this series that I want to leave you with practicing this summer. A, a challenge. Each week throughout the summer, try this. Invite someone new to church. You're like, maybe I've never done it. Invite someone new to church. It can be a family member. It can be a friend. It can be the same friend. You can annoy them. You can invite them every week. But invite someone new to church on a weekly basis because sometimes you're like, man, I've just never done it. Sometimes I've invited people and they were like, I was actually waiting and wondering if you were ever going to invite me. Next. Make it a goal to share the gospel with one person, at least one person this summer. Make it a goal. Like, man, so-and-so's been my friend. So-and-so's been my friend. Brad shared this at the Goer this week, and it's been shared before, but one of the magicians, I don't know who it was, said, how much do my Christian friends have to hate me in order for them to believe that they have the very thing that can save my life from an eternity in hell and never share it with me? And so I would argue and say, just once. You want to go twice, you want to go three times, great. But practice sharing the message that has the ability to save and transform someone's heart and life at, at least once this summer. Number three, someone asked me last week, what does it look like to build one another up? Practically build one another up, as we're called to do as a church. Send someone a text. Send someone a text and say, hey, I'm praying for you. How can I be praying for you more? This is what I see in your life, and it's really encouraging to me. And, 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 I, and I'm thankful that I get to be a part of it. Just simple words of encouragement are something Christians are daily called to do. Do it this summer. Number four, and last, share something difficult that you're going through in your life to give your brothers and sisters a chance to share that and bear that burden with you. Sometimes so much of our pain and loneliness is because we've just isolated ourselves and not allow others to bear our burdens. Let's share those things over this next season and over the summer. I'm gonna close this in prayer. Father, Thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you that what you've called us to, a lifestyle of holiness, is not something that will rob joy from our lives, but it'll actually bring joy into our lives. Help us to live consistent, but remember your grace every step of the way when we fail. In Jesus' name, amen.